Section 3. What happens when you stay stressed? In the last section, we looked at the physiology of stress and discussed what happens immediately and automatically when you say to yourself anything that sounds like, "Uh uh-oh, something bad has happened, is happening, or is going to happen. Stress begins with a threat thought, and then the fight-or-flight response turns on. Chronic stress. This stress response is only supposed to last about 30 to 90 seconds. Then it's supposed to be over and you go back to homeostasis. When the stress response remains activated for longer periods, it becomes what we call chronic stress. This is when problems start. Consider this. What happens when you stay in the fight-or-flight response for a longer amount of time than it is designed to work? Why is that dangerous? What is the connection between chronic stress and almost all of the health problems that people have today? Before we explore the answers to these questions, I want to focus for a moment on one thing that I think is really cool about human beings. What is your body telling you? Have you ever gone to a place like an all-you-can-eat buffet where you could eat as much food as you wanted, and you did? Or have you ever gotten really drunk, just smashed because you drank too much alcohol? How big is your stomach? Your stomach is about the size of two fists together, right? Not that large. Now, think about how many times you went back for more food. Three, maybe four servings? I mean, if it's all you can eat, you might as well eat a lot, right? Your stomach really stretches to fit all that food in there. Now let me ask you, if you ate way too much food, how did you feel when the meal was over? Do you remember? Most people say they want to throw up. They feel really tired and bloated. Not a good feeling. What about too much alcohol? If you have ever been quite drunk, how did you feel either later that evening or the next morning when you had a hangover? Most people say they felt sick. They couldn't get out of bed. They felt nauseous, sweaty, lightheaded, and with a headache. Again, it's not a good feeling. So what does this mean? These feelings, these yucky sensations, according to my holistic view of health, are the body's way of telling us we overdid it. It doesn't mean you're not a good person. Your body is just telling you something. By the feedback it's giving you, it's probably saying something like, that was too much. It's not a healthy thing for you. Don't do that again. Your body seems to know what is good for it and what isn't, and it gives you signals to let you know. What about the opposite? We can go to the other end of the spectrum and ask questions like, how did you feel when you go eat a salad or something pretty healthy? How do you feel when you go work out, play racquetball, or do something fun like go for a bike ride? How do you feel when you serve somebody in need, or help someone out who's really struggling? How do you feel when you meditate? Are these feelings different than the ones you have when you overdo things? Yes, doing these things generally cause people to feel really good. It doesn't make us any better of a person because we have those feelings. It's just our body's way of telling us, that's a good call, do more of that. 
Consider this. What's one of the primary reasons why people love to exercise every day? Sure, they are interested in staying healthy, but as much as anything, there are terrific feelings that naturally come from the exercise. You have probably felt that when you have been jogging or biking, for example. After a while, you get this huge flood of, oh man, this feels so great. Why does this happen? Your body is essentially saying, this exercise stuff is good for you and I'm going to reward you by giving you these great feelings so that you'll want to do it more. Our body knows what is good for our well-being. The reason why I mention this is because the body also sends us messages about stress. Whenever we do something that initiates the stress response and keeps it in a state of imbalance longer than the amount of time that it's designed to be on, such as 30 to 90 seconds, our body will start to give us feedback, letting us know of the imbalance. Under long-term or chronic stress, the body sends different messages. This is not healthy. There's an imbalance. Here's my feedback to you, so you'll do something different. During chronic stress, virtually every system in the body functions differently when the stress response is activated for an extended period of time. This includes the immune system, the digestive system, the reproductive system, the nervous system, the endocrine system, the muscular system, and every other body system and their related organs. Each body system changes its normal functioning for the sole purpose of providing the body with immediate speed and power to survive a physical threat. And as I mentioned, the body will also send signals that there is an imbalance and that changes need to be made. We commonly call these signals stress symptoms. What are the common signals the body uses to tell us to turn off the stress button? There are many of them. Here are just a few. Headaches. A headache is usually the result of constant contraction of the muscles in the head, neck, upper back, and shoulders. Muscles in their natural state are typically not contracting. They are relaxed. They only contract when the nervous system directs them to contract. When a muscle gets the message to fight or run for prolonged periods, it remains in the contracted state much longer than necessary. Over time, this results in pain. A headache is not necessarily a bad thing, Tension headache pain is feedback that our muscles have been contracting too long. They need to relax. Fatigue Another effect of prolonged muscle contraction is fatigue. Have you ever come home from a rough day at work or school and found yourself just worn out? Why would a day with such little physical activity make you feel so tired? When the body senses any kind of stressor, it naturally and automatically gears itself up for physical activity, running or fighting. Even though the body has remained mostly inactive, rather than doing something to follow through on that message, it is fatigued because the muscles have still been tensing up in preparation for activity all day. Try this. Clench your fists as hard as you can and see how long you can maintain this before your arms and hands become tired. 
Under this type of stress, it is easy for muscles to experience fatigue. They become exhausted. The same is true when the muscles involved in fighting or running remain contracting all day long. It is physically draining. It is no wonder we are worn out at the end of the day. Consider this scenario. A psychologist walked around a room while teaching stress management to an audience. As she raised a glass of water, everyone expected they'd be asked the half-empty or half-full question. Instead, with a smile on her face, she inquired, How heavy is this glass of water? Answers called out ranged from 8 ounces to 20 ounces. She replied, The absolute weight doesn't matter. It depends on how long I hold it. If I hold it for a minute, it's not a problem. If I hold it for an hour, I'll have an ache in my arm. If I hold it for a day, my arm will feel numb and paralyzed. In each case, the weight of the glass doesn't change, but the longer I hold it, the heavier it becomes. She continued, The stresses and worries in life are like that glass of water. Think about them for a while and nothing happens. Think about them a bit longer and they begin to hurt. And if you think about them all day long, you will feel paralyzed, incapable of doing anything. The moral of the story? Remember to put the glass down. Difficulty falling asleep. Sleeping is a natural experience. It should not take more than a few minutes to fall asleep. We should also sleep comfortably through the entire night without waking up several times. However, as we lie there trying to fall asleep, and our minds are absorbed on the events of earlier today or those that will happen tomorrow, our body interprets this mental activity as a signal to prepare for action, not for sleeping. It's tricky to relax or sleep and run or fight at the same time. Colds, the flu, and other illnesses. The immune system is responsible for preventing a large number of health problems, including cancers, allergies, and infections caused by menacing microbes such as viruses and bacteria. Since you don't need the immune system to run from the big bear, it scales down its activity. As a result, health problems that normally would have been handled with ease by the immune system may now get the upper hand. The number of health problems that occur because of a compromised immune system is substantial. Some people never seem to get sick, while others get sick every time a new cold or flu is going around, though there are several factors that affect immune function, such as diet, exercise, and sleep, among others. We can say with some confidence that there is a direct relationship between stress and immune function. As stress goes up, the immune system's strength goes down. As stress goes down, the immune system functions more effectively. Reflective Question Have you ever noticed that some people tend to get sick more often than others, even though they spend their time in the same environments? Based on this discussion of the immune system and stress, think about people you know who never seem to get sick and others who get sick quite frequently. How would a person's chronic stress levels explain the differences between those who get sick quite frequently 
and those who don't. Upset stomach and other digestive problems. We don't need the digestive system when we are running from the big bear. The normal functions of the digestive system aren't helpful for escaping a dangerous situation. As a result, during stress, the body won't competently coordinate all the different processes necessary to break down food and absorb it into the bloodstream. Essentially, every activity in the digestion process functions in unbalanced ways while the stress response is on. This can result in a whole host of digestive problems. Appetite and Obesity When people feel stressed, a very interesting thing happens when it comes to their desire for food. Some people find themselves wanting to eat more food, while others find food very unappetizing. Why do both possibilities exist? First, let's consider what happens to the digestive system upon activation of the stress response. Since we do not need the digestive system to help us escape from the big bear, energy is diverted from this system to other more immediately vital systems of the body. As a result, we are less likely to want to eat. We simply aren't hungry when we are highly stressed. However, the opposite reaction of desiring more food also comes into play when the stress response is on. There are two reasons for this. First, our ancestors faced the real possibility that food would not be readily available during dangerous times, so when they ate, their bodies stored that energy in the form of storage fat. The same mechanism works today as it did back then. When we feel stress, our bodies are conditioned to store fat in the event of a possible famine that may, but probably won't, happen in the near future. As a result, we eat more food and store it more easily as fat. There's another and perhaps more important reason why the stress response may lead to obesity. When we feel threatened and need quick energy to run or fight, we use blood glucose that is blood sugar, and muscle glycogen, stored sugar in the muscle, as our primary sources of quick energy. Essentially, blood glucose and muscle glycogen are the broken down forms of regular sugary foods, carbohydrates, that we eat. During the stress response, there's a natural craving for sugary foods in an effort to increase the blood sugar reserve so that we can have even more immediate energy, speed, and power. People who crave sweets and sugary foods when they feel stressed are really doing what comes naturally. So it's okay to eat that high sugar food whenever you feel upset, right? Wrong. The problem with this sugar craving is that the energy we eat normally remains unused if we aren't involved in some type of exercise. Many times people do not exercise when they are stressed. They just sit there thinking about things. When that happens, the excess blood sugar is quickly converted and stored in the body as fat. The more energy we eat, but don't expend through activity, the fatter we get. Today we have a major obesity epidemic, and stress definitely plays a key role in this problem. Reflective Question When you are feeling stress, or any of its symptoms, which do you tend to do? 
Do you eat more? Do you eat less? In what ways does this help explain why both scenarios of eating are natural when a person has an activated stress response? Ulcers. When a person has the continued belief that he is in trouble and the stress response stays on, the digestive system slows down. Many times, however, the person continues eating. Food travels first to the stomach on its way to the intestines. Powerful stomach acids do their best to try to break down the food. Once the food makes its way to the small intestines, additional chemicals enter from the pancreas and liver to further aid digestion. Since the body is on high alert, these very powerful substances may flow into the stomach and intestines in abnormal amounts, maybe too much for what's necessary to break down the food, maybe not enough. When these digestive juices are out of balance, they have a tendency to damage the lining of the stomach and small intestines. Over time, the acid continues eating away the lining of organ walls, and an ulcer may develop. Heart Disease More people die from diseases of the heart and circulatory system than any other cause. Recent reports indicate that approximately 600,000 people die each year from heart disease just in the United States. When you think of the risk factors for heart disease, those that immediately come to mind include being a smoker, eating a diet that is high in dietary fat, being overweight, having high cholesterol levels, and having high blood pressure. Interestingly, less than 50% of those who experience a heart attack have these classic risk factors. How then can we count for the rest of those who die from heart attacks? Let's look at what happens to the heart and blood vessels during the stress response. When a person is in the fight-or-flight response, several things occur in the blood vessels on the heart and to the heart itself that can be quite damaging. One immediate effect is that the blood vessels tend to constrict. Therefore, less blood is able to flow through them. This constriction and other features of the stress response increase blood pressure. If you need to run from the big bear, blood pressure naturally rises in order to provide more energy and oxygen to the running and fighting muscles. However, Chronically high blood pressure tends to weaken and damage the walls of the blood vessels. Blood also tends to clot more easily. This happens because our body is preparing for possible injury. When you are running from the big bear and you cut yourself on the thorn of a rose bush, you don't want to bleed to death. This is a good thing. However, when we have increased clotting in our blood, especially flowing through the blood vessels that surround the heart, or run through the brain, we get an increased risk of a clot lodging on the wall of an artery. If a clot is too big or the blood vessel's diameter is too small, and if we add to that an increase in blood pressure, it causes damage to the arteries and we are setting ourselves up perfectly for a heart attack or a stroke. Anytime there is damage to the walls of the blood vessels, the body tries to heal itself. First, a clot forms in the damaged blood vessel, just like when you skin your knee or cut your finger. In time, 
scarring may take place. In the process, the damaged area tends to be sticky, which allows plaque, mostly fats like cholesterol, to build up there. Over time, this growth of plaque, called atherosclerosis, narrows the blood vessel. At some point, a blood clot forms narrowing an artery or blood clot gets carried through the bloodstream and lodges in a narrowed artery. This closes off all future blood flow through that vessel. Anything downstream dies. If this blood vessel happens to be feeding the heart, the result is a heart attack. If it is feeding the brain, the result is a stroke. Heart rate. There's a definite relationship between perceived stress levels and higher than normal heart rates. During the stress response, the heart tends to beat much faster. This occurs to help get the much needed oxygen and nutrients to the heart and other fighting and running muscles as quickly as possible. Unfortunately, most of the time that we feel stressed, we aren't doing anything physically active, so the heart is working much harder than is necessary. It's like leaving your car parked in the driveway, but revving its engine all day. Fibromyalgia Fibromyalgia is a condition characterized by widespread pain in the muscles accompanied by fatigue, sleep, memory, and mood problems. 30 years ago, not many people had heard of fibromyalgia. Unfortunately, many people now suffer with this condition. One student of mine suffered with fibromyalgia so intensely that at times she could not put on her clothes because her muscles hurt so badly all over her body. Interestingly, as soon as she learned how to meditate, which information is in the stress reduction workbook, her pain reduced and she started to feel much better. Fibromyalgia is a lot like chronic fatigue. You can't really pinpoint any specific problem. Heart rate's fine, blood pressure's fine, all the tests indicate there's no problem. I've had students who have had doctors tell them, you're making it all up, it's all in your head, but it's not. So how might fibromyalgia be associated with chronic stress? Think about what's going on again. Muscle pain. If you're in the fight or flight response, what's one thing that happens to your muscles? They are seriously constricting. After prolonged periods of contraction, your muscles just say, bag it, this is too much tension, and I'm going to let you know by creating pain. Other diseases, illnesses, and conditions. We can say with confidence that nearly every chronic disease or condition has a stress component. Stress isn't necessarily the primary cause of the condition, but stress definitely makes most conditions worse because of the imbalance it creates. Research has shown that stress is a known culprit in all of the following chronic diseases and ailments. Alcoholism, allergies, angina pectoris, arteriosclerosis, asthma, atherosclerosis, autoimmune problems, birth defects, breast cancer, bruxism, burnout, cancer, carpal tunnel syndrome, cholesterol levels elevated, chronic backache, chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic tension headaches, chronic tuberculosis, cold sores, coronary heart disease, coronary thrombosis, depression, diabetes, eczema, endocrine problems, epileptic attacks, fibromyalgia, gastritis, high blood pressure, HIV and AIDS, 
hives, hypertension, hyperthyroidism, immune system disturbances, impotence, infertility, insomnia, irritable bowel syndrome, kidney disease, loss of interest in normal activities, menstrual problems, migraine headaches, multiple sclerosis, myasthenia gravis, night eating syndrome, obesity, obsessive compulsive disorder, pancreatitis, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, premature aging, psoriasis, Raynaud's disease, respiratory ailments, rheumatoid arthritis, shingles, stroke, systemic lupus erythematosus, temporomandibular joint syndrome, ulcerative colitis, and ulcers. That's a pretty long list. Consider this. We can explain how each of these health problems is stress-related by remembering the single purpose of the fight-or-flight response and what it is designed to do, namely escape from or fight the big bear. Our bodies simply are not designed to be in the escape and survival mode for extended periods of time. When we live our lives with the continued message that we are in trouble, severe and long-lasting imbalances occur. The good news is we can do something about it. The object and design of these workbooks and my other stress managing tools, which you'll learn about later on, is to bring you back into equilibrium. More than anything, I want to help you restore your mind-body to a positive and a holistic state of dynamic balance. And once in balance, the body tends to activate all of its healing energies Essentially, it opens the door of your inner pharmacy and allows the production of the right chemicals, hormones, enzymes, and other physiological reactions in the right doses, at the right places, at the right times to produce healing. But you have to be in balance. As you can see, chronic stress is a very unbalanced state. What are your symptoms of stress? Try this. Think about a health concern that you or someone you know might be experiencing right now in which stress has likely played a part in its development. This health problem may be a headache, insomnia, or something more serious like depression or ulcers. Answer these questions. What is the condition? What signals or warnings has the body given that things are out of balance? Based on what you have learned in this section, think about how chronic stress may be a primary contributor for the condition. Reflect on what your body is telling you about the way you have been treating it. How do you feel when you have these messages and warnings? Now do this. Intentionally participate in a healthy behavior. Examples might include going for a pleasant walk with someone you love, eating a balanced healthy meal, but eating a little less than you normally would, doing something that you thoroughly enjoy with no other motive than to involve yourself in that activity, or helping someone who needs some assistance without letting anyone else know about it. Focus on the way your body feels during and after doing the healthy activity that you selected. What signals does your body give you indicating that it was a beneficial activity? 
Contemplate how frequently you listen to the feedback your body is giving you. When was the last time you felt terrific? When was the last time your body-mind felt completely centered, balanced, harmonious, and whole? How can you do more listening to the wisdom of your body to make choices that help you feel tremendous rather than terrible?